The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. 14 seconds remain. No timeouts. Gabriel to throw. Pocket collapsed and he's sacked from the backside. The clock's going to run. Dennis Briggs flying in. Clock running. Four, three, two, one. Zeros. Ball game. It's all over. Fire up the war chant and plant the spear. Knowles win. Knowles win. A 10-win season for in the head coaching career of Mike Norvell. What a way to end 2022. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 7.01 on this New Year's Monday night. First Tomahawk Talk of the calendar year 2023. Very happy to have you with us here on the show. If you're new, this is Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, WVFS Tallahassee, 89.7 FM here locally, online, anywhere in the world at wvfs.fsu.edu. The show, as always, uploaded the next day as a podcast. We know there's uh, lots of things going on on this Monday night. The Rose Bowl is at halftime as we speak, the granddaddy of them all. Also, uh, the Leonard Hamilton Coaches Show I know is back. We're going up again, so uh, we appreciate you checking us out here uh, here at WVFS Tallahassee and Tomahawk Talk. Hope everyone's doing well. One hour schmooze here solo in the studio as we welcome 2023 into the world. And, and the way that 2022 went out was pretty darn good. That's what we'll talk about for most of the program. Florida State's 35-32 win over Oklahoma in the Cheez-It Bowl on December 29th. That's good for the 25th 10-win season in school history, the first time they've been able to accomplish the feat since 2016 after an Orange Bowl win. So kind of a similar feel for the Knolls to end this season. It was a thriller, a lot closer than many, including myself, expected the game to be. But uh, knowing Florida State and and everything that's gone on this year wouldn't have it any other way uh, but capping the season off on a good note. And other than just what's going on between the lines on the gridiron, but lots of other big Florida State football news uh, players that are going to return next season, players that have announced their departure from the team, and some big uh, transfer portal additions. What? First time you've heard that before. No, it's not. It's basically where uh, this team and, and where they've been able to go on this run is because of all the transfer portal players they've been able to add. So that run will continue. We'll talk about that as the show goes on. Also take a little bit of a peek at what the 2023 football season could hold now that there's no more games to play from the previous campaign. We can take a little bit of a look ahead. We don't know the dates or anything of the uh, of the sort for the schedule, but we know who uh, the Knowles will be, will be playing and where, so we can at least kind of give an estimate of, of what the, what the year is going to look like. And now that we have a, a fairly good idea of the team on the field, that will uh, be playing it as well. In addition to that, Florida State basketball, men and women, the men's right now 4-11. and 11. They beat Notre Dame a couple of weeks ago, but then lost uh, to number 17 Duke on New Year's Eve afternoon by 19 points. It was 
another gut check for the men, I think, in a way that Duke is, is obviously one of the Blue Bloods, one of the national powers, and Florida State had won a couple of games. What were they going to do against a, a genuine top 25 team? And they, they looked well outmatched. We, we say it just about every week. They're not at full strength. Uh, Baba Miller will return a couple of games from now uh, against Wake Forest, as we'll talk about. So that's where the men's season is, and we'll, we'll talk more in depth about that later on towards the back part of the hour. And the FSU women continue their winning ways. They've won three basketball games since the last time we spoke. They're 14-2 and two, uh, with wins over Miami, number 13 UNC, and Georgia Tech over that stretch. So we'll dive deeper into those games and what they mean. I cannot believe the women are still not ranked nationally in the top 25. UNC, who they just beat, is still ranked, and Florida State is not. They're now at the top of the receiving votes category, so if they continue to win, they will be there eventually. But the disrespect continues, at least from the national media, in terms of Brooke Wyckoff and her squad and and the the great players like Latson and and Timpson that the team uh, has been fielding this year. But uh, another topic that we will... Uh, discuss as probably you've noticed uh, first show in a couple weeks we took the December 26th show off so we're back here so lots and lots of things to recap and discuss really glad to have you with us you can call us up call the show at 850-644-1837 is the telephone line hope everyone out there has had a great holiday season over the last couple of weeks Christmas New Year's and beyond Uh, I, like many fellow students here, got to go home and and see the folks, and that was a great time, get to see some people that uh, you may only see once or twice a year, friends and family alike, and so that was nice to take some time off, but equally as exciting to be back here in the studio doing the show again. We'll be hosting, uh, I imagine I'll be hosting just about every show during the 2023 calendar year, if all things go right, so uh, it's been exciting for me. I hope it's been a good run for you, the listener as well, that you've enjoyed the, the programs that we've been able to put together. would love to do some sort of maybe podcast somewhere to, to kind of recap everything from 2022 because, of course, the one-hour program that we have on Monday nights does not allow us to, to cover that much ground, but maybe we could do something longer form for Florida State Athletics because there's been a ton uh, that's gone on, and just about all of it has been good. Florida State football, as good as it's been uh, for the greater part of a decade, five, six, seven years, as I'm sure you know, and uh, that, that's what we want to get into here tonight. But the last few days, if you're a sports fan, has been incredibly hectic, exciting, uh, thrilling, any adjective that you want to use. New Year's Eve, one of those years where we got the college football playoff semifinals on uh, New Year's Eve. Usually it's uh, New Year's Day or, or January 2nd. Uh, in the future, it's going to be earlier uh, during the, the final week of December because uh, obviously people doing their, their New Year's Eve stuff. But it just so happened with the NFL Sunday being on January 1 that Obviously, no one is going to compete with the great big bad NFL, and so we got those semifinal games on New Year's Eve, and they were both dandies. I think, um, I don't think, I know that just about every single semifinal game that's been played over the past, what has it been, eight years now, they've just about all been duds, save for maybe two or three, and... We got two of potentially the best uh, college football playoff semifinal games that we've ever had during this run. 
TCU, the Horned Frogs, the Hypnotoads, uh, any moniker that they've taken on during this this stretch run with first-year head coach Sonny Dykes, they beat the Michigan Wolverines in the Fiesta Bowl, 51-45, to and now all the rumors are swirling around uh, Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh once again, uh, that he might be returning to the NFL ranks once again. There was all sorts of noise about the Minnesota Vikings a season ago, and uh, it, that has already begun to ramp up because it's another uh, not great disappointing end to a Michigan season. I think it's funny to see how uh, the expectations so quickly shift for Michigan football, where for most of Harbaugh's tenure, uh, up until a couple years ago, he could never beat Ohio State, could not get that monkey off of his back, and they would have maybe another disappointing loss or two. And maybe they're playing a a New Year's Six game, kind of hanging around, doing well on the recruiting trail, but never really getting over the hump. And the last two years... Uh, they beat the crap out of Ohio State. They get to the college football playoff, but then they meet their match. Last year, it happened to be Georgia, who was the eventual champion who they met in the semifinal. But this year, it was a TCU team that was really nowhere on the map, was not expected to do much of anything. Michigan was about a touchdown favorite. And TCU dominated Michigan for most of that game. Uh, the Horned Frogs with a couple of defensive touchdowns. I know Michigan fans will say maybe that touchdown that was wiped off the board that put the ball at the half-yard line, and then they fumble the next play to give the ball back. And, and TCU was able to get a touchback and get it back out to the, the 20, completely erased all, all the momentum that Michigan had maybe late in the first half. And TCU ends up winning the game. They hold on late. And then in the other one, Georgia over Ohio State. It looked like Ohio State, who snuck into the four seed, uh, unlikely with only one loss, but they got blown out by Michigan in the final game. A couple other candidates that could have had that spot ended up going to the Buckeyes, and they almost beat the defending champion that hasn't lost a game in over two years with Stetson Bennett, you know, the 25-year-old quarterback, and, and Kirby Smart, and, and the big bad dynasty that they've built up there in Athens, Georgia. Ohio State almost did it. Uh, Georgia had had a score late, and then Ohio State was trying to go down to get a field goal as time expired. And it just so happened to be a clock had, had struck midnight on December 31st, I think right as Ohio State was getting that last-second uh, field goal off. That was an incredibly weird end to 2022 not to see the ball drop not to see uh, ryan seacrest or any of the crazy folks up in new york city or, or whatever you like to do on new year's eve but to be watching the final seconds of a georgia ohio state game with a trip to the national championship game on the line that was about as strange as they come ohio state misses that kick incredibly wide to the left i mean that, that kick couldn't have uh been any further away from from reaching between the uprights and so Georgia ends up escaping that one, and so they're going to play TCU for it all for the the title next Monday night at seven thirty. So that I mean that that'll that game will actually kick off closer to eight o'clock, but we'll be on the air during the game. Uh, there's no point in obviously previewing it next week because it'll be going on near simultaneously. Uh, I won't have much of a preview here for you right now, other than the fact that. Uh, Georgia is favored by a couple of touchdowns. I, I don't really get that, uh, and all the public money has been on on that, on Georgia to cover that two-touchdown spread. And you know we say nearly every show, Vegas maybe knows something we don't. But Georgia defense had averaged given up about 12, 13 points a game. Well, they gave up 41 to Ohio State, and I'm not exactly going to argue that TCU's offense is at that level. But... Uh, TCU is not Vanderbilt. TCU is not Missouri. They are not 
Oregon, even any other team that has had such a lackluster performance against Georgia, Kentucky being another. Uh, Max Duggan nearly won the Heisman Trophy, the the, the Horn Frogs quarterback. Uh, they've got a receiver, uh, Johnson, that's going to be taken in the first round of the NFL draft. They've got a Sonny Dykes offense in year one that, uh, they you know, the cold stretches at times, but they've just about been blowing the doors off of everyone that they've played. Some really good defenses in there as well. Texas, Kansas State, just to name a few. And I know those defenses aren't at Georgia's level. I, I think, you know, TCU hasn't quite seen a defense like Georgia I think Georgia's defense hasn't quite seen an offense like TCU's. So an interesting battle of style. Uh, the game will be in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. You'd imagine Georgia is going to take over that stadium maybe 70%, 80%. So it's, it might feel like a road game, but uh, I think somewhat TCU was dealing with that in the Fiesta Bowl as well. But I know no fans travel quite like Georgia as they're going for a second straight title. But that, that's, that's all I can give you. It's 7.30 next Monday night. It'll be... Georgia, it will be TCU. The semifinals were awesome. Uh, I'm, I, I hope that you were able to catch it. And next year is going to be the final year of the four-team format before it shifts over to 12. And uh, as, as we you know, kind of close the page on this era of college football, that was quite a way uh, to do that now. As, as just one more uh, semifinal Saturday uh, will be in store for us all. Also, NFL Week 17 was yesterday. Uh, the three teams that we like to cover a bunch here, the Buccaneers, Jaguars, and Dolphins, all three are in the thick of things. The Buccaneers were able to clinch the NFC South. Can you believe it? They were 6-8 and eight, uh, at, at one point a few weeks ago. They're now 8-8. Eight and eight. They beat the Carolina Panthers in a must-have game. Tom Brady finally showed the kind of player he can be. Uh, it seemed like all of the season he looked more like a 45-year-old uh, retiree than he did, you know, first ballot, gold jacket, greatest player of all time, Tom Brady. But we saw more of the latter uh, on Sunday afternoon yesterday. Mike Evans had three touchdown passes. One of the best receivers in the NFL does not get his, his due credit, but had a great afternoon and caught all of Tom Brady's touchdown passes, was able to, to sneak by a really battered and poor Carolina secondary. But uh, I, I don't think that matters as much as the Bucks kind of getting hot at the right time. They'll have Atlanta next week, inconsequential, uh, but they'll play all the starters. For the Jaguars, they have gone on a tear late in the season with first-year head coach Doug Peterson unlocking second-year quarterback Trevor Lawrence, who was the first-round pick, as you'll recall, a couple seasons ago. They've got some great running backs. They've got great weapons on offense, and the defense has been able to do enough, and, the, and Jacksonville sets up a uh, an AFC South championship game uh, this Saturday night against the Tennessee Titans. That game will be in Duval in Jacksonville, and the Titans basically down to kind of a third-string quarterback that they picked up off the street a couple weeks ago in Josh Dobbs. And uh, I think Jacksonville, a clear favorite at home to win that game. And they'll be the fourth seed in the AFC playoffs if they can get it done. They'll probably be playing maybe Baltimore, one of those, t- whoever the top AFC wildcard ends up being. It's going to be a busy Week 18 NFL Sunday this week. And then for the Dolphins, who were 8-3, and three, I mean, it's been such an up-and-down season for the Miami Dolphins. First-year head coach Mike McDaniel exploding onto the scene and locking Tua Tungavailoa, the quarterback, all sorts of exciting things on offense, and, and, and like I say, taking the league by storm. They won their first three games, 
Then the the Tua concussion stuff really started to go down, and he didn't play. Then they they lost their next three. Then they won five in a row against five teams that aren't going to make the playoffs. And then they've lost their last five. Uh, all five of those teams probably will be in the playoffs, so showing the contrast there. You win three, you lose three. You win five, and you lose five. And so this incredibly inconsistent season has brought the Dolphins to a point now where they're 8-8. Eight and eight. They lost in New England against a reeling Patriots team yesterday afternoon. And they're going to be playing the Jets this week. I think they're. I don't think it's a win and in. I think they're going to need some help as well at 9-8 and eight maybe to sneak in to that 7th seed. But it doesn't look like Tua is going to play because he suffered... Uh, at the very least, his third concussion this season, and uh, maybe next week we can talk about that some more, what his NFL or what his football future is going to be, because this is, uh, at least in the modern era that this has been covered, this is uncharted waters, uh, suffering those many uh, brain injuries in the same season and having to miss as much time as Tua had to miss. So the Dolphins are in a tough spot, but the Bucks and the Jaguars are in great shape uh, to make the playoffs. The Bucks already did. The Jaguars well on their way. Both will, uh, if they win the Jaguars, they'll both be division winners, and they'll both be hosting a playoff game. At you know, both teams will probably be nine and eight. The Bucks could be eight and nine with a losing record, hosting I believe it will be the Dallas Cowboys. So crazy stuff in the NFL, and, and that's just uh, scratching the surface of what went on there. Uh, every week. It's amazing. I wish we had more than one hour to dive into all this, but uh, that, that's what's been going on in the sports world within the last couple of days. Now, uh, brings us to today. We've still got some things to discuss. Mississippi State won their bowl game. It was the the, the ReliaQuest Bowl, which is in Raymond James uh, in Tampa. They beat Illinois 19-10, to and we covered this uh, our last show a couple of weeks ago, the untimely, the unfortunate passing of, of uh, the former Mississippi State head coach, Mike Leach, and uh, the team decided they wanted to play the bowl game. They promoted their defensive coordinator to head coach, not even interim. Zach Arnett is just going to be the guy moving forward, and it was awesome. The Bulldogs on uh, one side of their helmet, uh, the decal of the pirate flag, Mike Leach, known as the pirate, the book that he wrote uh, about a decade ago and, and his fascination with uh, the pirates and everything that goes along with that, as we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. Mississippi State able to get the job done. His son, Cody Leach, is a graduate assistant on the staff watching the game from the sideline. Uh, and how fitting, too, that the stadium where the game was played and Raymond James, where the Buccaneers call home, there's a big pirate ship inside the stadium, and they were able to put up basically a shrine, some sort of memorial for Mike Leach, and they put it up on the pirate ship overlooking the field uh, for Mississippi State's final game this season. They were able to get uh, to nine wins, and they had an impressive year, but uh, a tough time for, for Mississippi State football, but able to to tread the, these waters. I know it's been tough for the players and the coaches and everyone, but to win that game and and now looking ahead to the future, uh, that that was a nice day for for Mississippi State, and and uh, obviously Mike Leach will be continued to remember probably all through the duration of of next season, and obviously beyond uh, for a long, long time. I, plenty of other schools, TCU, Sonny Dykes, head coach at TCU, by the way, a former Mike Leach assistant. Uh, I think uh, Georgia put put on the the Pirate decals. Plenty of other teams did as well. 
A great day of football today. The Mississippi State win uh, was just one of those. Tulane with an all-time game from a small school winning a big-time bowl game, 46-45 over USC. The Trojans bring on their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, Caleb Williams. They had a 15-point lead basically late in the fourth quarter. Tulane, uh, their quarterback, had only completed three passes the entire game leading into the final drive. Completes five balls on that drive with about a minute, a minute and a half left, no timeouts. Uh, fourth and ten conversion, uh, a crazy touchdown into the end zone that was initially incomplete, overruled to a touchdown. So all sorts of high drama for Tulane, who won just two games a season ago and today picked up their 12th win, the biggest turnaround in college football history, going from two wins to 12. Uh, and their their terrific head coach, who there was all sorts of rumors around him, Willie Fritz, that he was going to be taking a big-time job, maybe the Auburn job, some of those, uh, Colorado, things of that sort. He, he's going to stay at Tulane, and he's built quite a program. Caleb Williams, again, Heisman Trophy winner, went off. Nearly 500 yards, five touchdowns, but not enough at the end for Lincoln Riley's bunch to get it done. A huge win for Tulane this afternoon in the Cotton Bowl. And then what's going on right now is, uh, with the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all in Pasadena, uh, Penn State and Utah right now tied at 14 as we speak. And then another huge game tonight, Monday Night Football, uh, just a, a few minutes after we conclude our show here. And uh, Bills and Bengals in Cincinnati. Uh, I imagine whoever wins that game is going to have a really, really good shot at getting the one seed in the AFC, which is the lone buy. You have to get the one seed now to get a first-round buy. So that game has uh, a lot riding on it, and uh, it dictates some other things in the AFC playoff picture as well. So great football Saturday, great football Sunday, and another fantastic day of pigskin here on this Monday, January 2nd. Uh, again, number to call us up, Tom Talk 850-644-1837. As now that we have all that out of the way, want to bring up Florida State football. What we opened up the show with, the call that you heard at the top of the show, courtesy of Seminole Sports Property, uh, Learfield, and Jeff Colhane, the play-by-play man, uh, call, closing that one out. Jared Verse sacking the Oklahoma quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, with time winding down, and they were not able to get another snap off. So how fitting that Jared Verse was the guy basically to end uh, the season and the 10th win for Florida State. Uh, the narrative going into the game, Florida State closed uh, basically at kickoff. Florida State was a 10-point favorite. It fluctuated around there, but the idea being Florida State as a double-digit favorite, they were going to run away with this one. They had all their players coming back. They had five uh, wins in a row going into Orlando, going into bowl practice, the first under Mike Norvell, and Oklahoma uh, a struggling 6-6 six and six with their first-year head coach Brent Venables and you know all the opt-outs, their star running back, their star defensive lineman, both starting tackles on the offensive line, and so everything was tilting towards the Knolls' way. The over-under was 67, by the way, which was a push, so Vegas nailed that one right on the button. It was the final game uh, for Florida State's Jamie Robinson, Cameron McDonald, Pokey Wilson, Robert Cooper, and then the trio on the offensive line uh, of Dimitri Emanuel, Justin Turntine, and Dylan Gibbons. 
FSU was going for 10 wins. The Sooners were looking for a, a winning record in year number one of Venables. So that was what was on the line December 29th down in the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Pretty even crowd, I would say. I, I made the trip down uh, with the folks. Great time tailgating, seeing some people, uh, and obviously a great chance for Florida State's fans across the state to get to that game. Uh, certainly these uh, Orlando and surrounding areas of Central Florida, a much shorter drive to Tallahassee, but also the Tampa Bay area and certainly South Florida, where a drive to Tallahassee could be 10, 12 hours, depending on where you start. So this was a game for a lot of folks that don't get to see the Knowles a lot, go out to a game and see them in person. And uh, the crowd was certainly into the game from start to finish which was really good to see. They mentioned it after the game, uh, how much that helped them and, and, and all of that. Giving you a quick breakdown of the game, uh, in case you forgot to relive it, all that, uh, to set up the discussion, first quarter action. Florida State drives to open the game. They had first and goal at the five. They have to settle for three. There was a, a throw uh, in the back of the end zone, maybe missed a hair by Jordan Travis, and they have to kick a field goal, but they looked really good on offense, but then they went quiet right after that. Oklahoma, methodical opening drive as well. They cash in for a touchdown, 13 plays, 75 yards. I believe that was the first time a team had scored a first drive touchdown against Florida State, and I think only a couple uh, have scored any points on the first drive. And uh, with Adam Fuller's defense giving up a lot of firsts in this game, uh, I think 32 was the third most points the Knowles had allowed this season as well. The Sooners took a 14-3 to lead on a short field uh, because Florida State went for it and didn't get it. Uh, they end up kicking a 49, or they had it at the 49-yard line. Uh, I beg your pardon, and they take that 14-3 to lead. So they're up early. The Knowles, three drives after that opening field goal possession, they come up empty. Two fourth down fails. One was they had third and one. They run it and didn't get it, and then they ran it again on fourth and one and didn't get it either. And then they had a Cameron McDonald pass open over the middle, has been sure-handed on third and fourth down and long, uh, coming up big all season. He drops that pass, and Florida State, as they've been known to do this year, being aggressive on fourth and long uh, at times in opposing territory. They were 0 for 3 on fourth down on the day. So uh, they really struggled there in the first half. After the first drive, they were left with just three on the board. Oklahoma missed a field goal on another short field uh, on the second fourth down miss. Uh, And then late in the second quarter, Florida State airs it out for the first touchdown, their first touchdown of the game. Four passes uh, for 10 or more yards. The touchdown for Pokey Wilson in the corner was a great play-action pass where they they pulled a guard and a tackle, I think, to the right side. They really sell the run to the right side. Travis pulls the ball, rolls to his left, and they had uh, uh, Pokey Wilson coming open in the left corner of the end zone. Perfect throw from Jordan Travis to get it done in Wilson's final game in the Garnet and Gold. And they go with the trickeration on the two-point conversion. It was one of those strange uh, where they bring the, I think, the extra point group out, and then you have, you know, three players lined up on the middle of the field, maybe two on the left side, 
uh, you know, three on the right side, talk like offensive linemen blockers. So the defense doesn't know where to line up. Wyatt Rector, the tight end, in his final game, uh, lined up at quarterback, and he rolls to his right and throws the pass to, to Brian Courtney, the freshman tight end, for the two-point score. Courtney, I think, had his first touchdown uh, in the in uh, I want to say the Louisiana game, but I know he had scored this year. So a couple of, of backup tight ends hooking up for a two-point conversion to make it 14-11. to 11. Uh, uh, Oklahoma gets a field goal before halftime to make it 17 to 11. Florida State had a chance to respond with one of their own, but Fitzgerald coming up short from 54 yards. He had made his other two uh, during the game, though. So that was uh, the score at halftime, 17 to 11. But Florida State out of the locker room, they they force uh, a stop on defense, get the ball back at their own six yard line, and go right down the field. 15 place, 94 yards on their first drive of the second half. Five passes for 10 or more yards. This was the theme of the night in Jordan Travis's career night, 418 passing yards and a couple touchdowns. That made it 18-17, to Knowles. The team's trade fourth down fails. Uh, the two squads combined to go one for five on fourth down in the game. Now in the fourth quarter, Oklahoma goes seven plays for 10 yards. Uh, or, or sorry, seven play, 70 yards on a touchdown drive. Mims, uh, their leading receiver, Marvin Mims Jr., had a 31-yard catch. The rest was all runs. Oklahoma running it down the Knolls throat all night. They handed the ball off 60 times. That includes some Dylan Gabriel runs, and I think sacks are incorporated in there as well. But Oklahoma, who's run the ball more than they've thrown it, I think in every game except maybe two this year, uh, the same. 60 total runs, only 24 passes. The Sooners were were all about running the ball, and on that touchdown drive, <clears throat> it was more of the same. 25-18, Oklahoma led that at that point. Florida State, though, scored on their final three drives, so as they have all year, closing out the game incredibly strong. I guess not all year, you know, that, that game against North Carolina State, but uh, either way, uh, at least lately during the six-game winning streak, though, Treshawn Ward with a 38-yard touchdown, breaking free. The running game struggled for most of the night, but Treshawn Ward had a couple of big key runs. Very shifty out of the backfield. Uh, that touchdown tied it at 25. All the scoring not done yet. Uh, Oklahoma fumbled the running back, Sawchuck. Uh, Amarian Cooper forced the fumble, put his shoulder right on the football to jar it loose, and Jamie Robinson in his final game at Florida State was flying around the football all night was able to recover the fumble. So that gives the ball back to the Seminoles, and they make it 32-25 uh, on a drive. Benson caught a 33-yard pass off of a screen. He's been key on those this year. And Douglas, uh, Marquise and Douglas, the tight end, some trickery again for a 17-yard touchdown to take the lead late in the game. He was basically lined up at left tackle. The way they had set it up where was, I think it was Darius Washington, uh, who played, I, th- I want to say, left tackle in the game, was lined up to <clears throat> the right side out near the receivers, but he was on the line of scrimmage. So you had the five offensive linemen on the line of scrimmage, and so Marquise and Douglas lined up uh, next to the offensive linemen, but he's an eligible receiver, and so the Oklahoma defense doesn't pick him up. He's wide open down the seam, and Jordan Travis puts it on him. Marquise and Douglas, by the way, I think 6'4", 
but uh, 275 pounds. He's a big dude. He's a run blocker uh, usually, but he has really come on into his own as a receiver at that tight end position. He had a really nice night, uh, four catches for 50 yards and a touchdown. That 17-yarder was his long of the night, but it seems like every time he gets the ball, he's wide open. I don't know if that's because of the frame, if it's because defenses are reading him as a blocker, uh, but, but he has had some key catches and some key plays for the Knowles offense this year. So Knowles led by a touchdown at that point, but Oklahoma, as they had done all night, a clutch drive to tie it up, 32-32, and then Florida State goes down to kick a 32-yard field goal with 55 seconds to go in the game, and it was all set up the second play of the drive deep in their own territory. Uh, Jordan Travis just slinging it right down the field, 58-yard catch from Johnny Wilson with one hand, essentially, as the other one was tied up by the Oklahoma defender. What a game. What a night for Johnny Wilson. A career night for him as well. Uh, He goes eight catches for 202 yards. Doesn't reach the end zone, though, but that 58-yarder was his long on the night. Had a big drop uh, earlier in the game that probably would have been a touchdown, would have been probably an 80-yard score on a catch-and-run as he had come open deep down the middle of the field. And Travis put it right on his hands, and, and he just couldn't reel it in. But other than that, Johnny Wilson was nails all night. And I know you can't exclude the drop, as that has been a big issue for him this season. Uh, but a really, really good night. And the Knolls certainly couldn't have done what they did without the efforts of big number 14, six foot seven at the wide receiver position. So the Knolls kick a, a field goal to go up 35-32 with under a minute to go. Oklahoma burned at all their timeouts because that 58-yard catch set the Knolls up deep in, in Oklahoma territory. And so uh, Florida State was just going to run the ball, grind out the clock, force Venables to use all those timeouts, which they did. And Oklahoma caught, I got to say, a pretty tough break. The first play of the drive, they had a receiver open over the middle. I mean, granted, they started, I think, at their 25. So they've got to go you know, probably 50-plus yards to get into field goal territory with under a minute to go, no timeout. So it was a tall task no matter what. But they had a, a receiver open over the middle, and he was tackled a, a half-yard short of the first down line, a nine-and-a-half-yard catch probably. And in college football, with the first down stopping the clock, that would have been huge a drive starter for them. Instead, you know, probably 10 seconds run off the clock, and completely threw the Sooners uh, out of the loop. Uh, they were disorganized from that point on, and, and they had a false start with the clock running, which is a 10-second runoff, all, all sorts of uh, execution miscues off of what I described at the first play. And uh, with, with the clock rolling, Jared Verse flies in for the sack, and, and he had quite a night, a couple tackles for loss. Uh, and might be his final game. He still hasn't made his decision on that yet, uh, but flew in for the sack, and and they weren't. Uh, Oklahoma was not able to line up for another snap, and that ended the game again. That the call that you heard at the top of the show, that sack of Dylan Gabriel, and so a 35-32 win for Florida State. They get their tenth win of the season. They win their sixth game in a row. To close things out, their first 10-win season uh, since 2016, the tw- uh, 25th time they had won 10 games or more 
in a season. Uh, so the way that, that the Knowles were able to close it out, like I said earlier, you, it wouldn't have been any other way with, with high drama and big plays from big players. That's the theme that we're starting to see Norvell, has, has Coach Norvell leaned into it from the, the recruiting uh, aspect as well, that this is a system built for playmakers. If you come to Florida State, uh, you're going to make big plays and big moments, and people are going to learn your name pretty quick. Happened with Jermaine Johnson last year. Happened with Jared Verse this year. Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson, just to name a few players coming in uh, via the portal and uh, were big-time players for the Knowles. And this was another one where it was your, your key players coming up with big plays uh, to to come away with it uh, when you needed a clutch play, and there were, there were dudes there to supply it. Uh, dude, unlike any other, Jordan Travis – Career-high 418 passing yards. The offense had nearly 600 yards of total offense in the game, an explosion, 587 total yards in the game. Travis also was uh, added 50 yards on the ground on seven carries. It amazes me the elusiveness of Jordan Travis. Early on in his Florida State career, you saw it a ton because that was pretty much all they used him as. He was kind of a wildcat type of guy didn't really throw the ball at all uh i remember even as as recently as the miami game last year they were lining him up at running back i mean that was where the perception of of, of travis was and now that he's been unleashed as a passing quarterback all these passes you know deep down the field over 400 yards uh last thursday night and you kind of forget how good of a ball carrier he is because when he tucks it and runs and you've and he's in a phone booth with another player where the the defender has got his shoulders lined right up to Travis's shoulders, squaring up for the tackle. And you blink, and Travis shakes the defender out of his shoes. You know the the quickest juke move you've ever seen. And Travis gets out of it, and before you know it, he's 15 yards further down the field. Those were the kind of plays that Travis had on the ground against Oklahoma and a dual threat quarterback unlike any other. I think he's one of the most elusive quarterbacks in college football up there with the likes of of Caleb Williams, who won the Heisman Trophy, by the way, and a, a really good night passing. That was the the narrative that, that some people have talked about going into the night was if Florida State can win this game, get to 10 wins, get their sixth straight win, uh, you know, there were 13 in the country in the final college football playoff rankings, that that was going to set the Knolls up to be a top 10 preseason team next year. And a good night from Travis and a big win would set him up to be a dark horse, maybe even better than dark horse, a, a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate for 2023. And both of those things ended up, end up occurring with him having the best game of his college career in the win. And so that sets up a really interesting uh, beginning and possibly as well end to uh, the 2023 football season. Uh, on offense, aside from Travis, though, the running game was challenged. Uh, it ended up being five yards a carry, what the number comes out to, but had struggled all night. Trey Benson, 13 carries for 25 yards. Treshawn Ward broke a couple, but he was stuffed mostly too. I think we had a little bit been lulled to sleep in that well you know Oklahoma defense gave up a ton of yards which they did nearly 600 yards total in the game but that Brett Venables defense uh, not only his scheme but the technique that he preaches to the front seven 
as Florida State people are familiar with uh, from Venable's time running the Clemson defense the last 12 years, I think, or 10 years, a greater part of a decade either way. And that ended up being the case in a lot of moments. Florida State was really committed to the run game, which you would understand with their success on the ground. And that's how they're going to win football games is controlling uh, the time of possession and, and really grinding the defense out on the ground. But for large stretches of the game, Florida State really struggling to move the ball uh, on the ground. Johnny Wilson, as I mentioned, coming through with a 200-yard day, the best of his collegiate career. He is one of the only players, I think, that has not announced uh, his 2023 plans, whether that be to stay at Florida State or to go to the NFL draft. We talked about this, I think, the last show or maybe the one before. I don't necessarily see him as a big-time pro prospect yet. I think if he has, you know, a 1,000-yard season next year, he could be a first-round pick. I think his frame, his speed, his ability to make contested catches as a red zone threat, all those things sets up. I, I think right now, though, he's he's more of a project than he is a prospect only because of the drops and the lack of results. He didn't do nearly anything at Arizona State and was the Knowles' leading receiver this year, but I don't think enough – uh, to warrant you know, a team using a, a second or third round pick on him, I think would go in the later rounds. That That's my outlook on, on Wilson, uh, but he had his best game as a Seminole, and I couldn't have won the game without him set up the final uh, field goal on that last drive. Uh, Ontario Wilson, pokey as he's known in his final game <clears throat> as an old, uh, five catches for 74 yards and a touchdown in the first half. He was huge. And certainly he'll be missed as a guy, one of those clutch targets, experienced players that when you need a guy to come up with a grab, when everyone seems like they're dropping the ball, get it out to number 80, uh, Wilson, and he's going to make a play. And so they're going to have to find someone who can replace that. Micah Pittman, perhaps, who didn't have a ton of numbers this year, but is a hard-nosed player, a guy in the slot that can go over the middle and make a tough grab, but they didn't use him a whole lot in that regard, mostly screens and as a kickoff and punt returner. Um, Other guys in their final game, Jamie Robinson, the safety, announced for the NFL draft on New Year's Eve right at midnight, his big announcement. Uh, 13 total tackles in the game, a fumble recovery, a sack, a couple tackles for loss, I think, in there as well. A huge game, uh, and he, so important. They pointed this out on the broadcast when I went back and watched it today. There was, a, a I think, a third down play in, in the second half where Oklahoma had two receivers to the right side, and the Knowles and man coverage had two guys there to cover the two receivers, and then... Uh, Oklahoma motion stoops from the left over to the right. So all of a sudden, you know, motion right before the snap, you've got trips right and only two defenders over there. And Jamie Robinson racing over to that side to defend that. Um, but they were lined up in a bunch so that you get a kind of rub route and all of a sudden all the, all these uh, man coverage assignments are busted because you can't get your guy off the snap. And Jamie Robinson, as he's running over to that side, making uh, communication with the freshman Thomas, and I think it was Kevin Knowles as well, on who was going to cover who, how they needed to be lined up. And they end up executing incredibly well, Oklahoma throwing the ball to that side as they had set it up in an incomplete pass, I think, to get the ball back. And so that's all how physical he is in the box, uh, but also in the secondary, uh, his leadership and his knowledge of the game. 
You can't say enough good things about him. There's a, a good possibility, I'll say, of him being a first-round pick, but uh, at the very least, I, I can't see how he slips uh, past the third round with everything that I mentioned. A great game for him. Jared Verse, two tackles for loss, and maybe his final game. Uh, he would be a game-changer to get him back, but uh, we'll talk about a couple big transfers uh, coming in for next season. The defense as a whole, six sacks, 11 tackles for loss, three pass breakups as well. Really good execution on that end. Uh, Jamie Robinson uh, with one, I think on that play that we were talking about, uh, Renardo Green and Azaria Thomas had one where he nearly intercepted it, leaping through the air. Uh, the true freshman corner who's played a pretty decent amount this year is going to be a huge player in 2023 and beyond. Uh, there were times where... Gabriel had all too much time in the pocket. Granted, he only threw the ball 24 times, uh, but uh, you look at the numbers, though, six sacks, 11 tackles for loss uh, in Oklahoma, running the ball as much as they do, 60 carries. uh, Florida State, uh, their aggressive front seven was going to have a ton of opportunities to make plays, and they did. The Oklahoma offense was efficient. I mean, they were 8 for 17 on third down, 500 total yards, They averaged 17.5 yards per completion, so they were getting it done. Uh, They had two 100-yard rushers in the game, uh, Barnes and Sawchuck. They had Eric Gray, their leading leading runner, uh, opting out of the game to go to the NFL, but those those two backups are going to be are going to be big for Oklahoma, and they played well. Some hard nosed runners. Sawchuck with that big fumble late, though, forced by Amarian Cooper, who has not had a great year at the cornerback position in coverage. Did not have a great game. Got beat for a couple plays. One was a touchdown in this game, uh, but coming into the box, laying the shoulder on the football, and jarring a, the ball loose in a fumble getting a turnover in the second half. So that was a big play for for Duke Cooper in his second year here at Florida State. Uh, the Knolls were 0-3 for 3 on fourth down. I know that that's a, a criticism of the team, and certainly if you had lost, that was something you were going to point to and say, why not have Master Mono uh, you know, pin the, the Sooners back inside their own 10? Or whatever the case was, why are you going for, for fourth and eight you know, at the 40-yard line and, and giving the opposition in a short field? Uh, didn't really have to answer those questions in a win, but next year we'll see. I mean, uh, that was certainly a, a talking point in those three straight losses uh, early on in the year where they were in field goal range and opted to go for it and didn't get it. NC State was a great example of that. Uh, third most points given up by the defense of the season, 32. Some coverages were exposed. Uh, the defense certainly did not have a great night. A lot of time in man coverage where uh, even on third down, guys coming open over the middle – in a way that we haven't really seen from the team for most of the year. Uh, The backup offensive line for Oklahoma, I thought, controlled the game too much. I know I just said six sacks and 11 tackles for loss, but a clean pocket for Gabriel at times. And Oklahoma ran the ball really well, 250 yards on the night. And so uh, two tackles uh, coming in as backups. I think they were down to their third-string left tackle, I think, too. and uh, But they still had a decent game. And Gabriel, as a running quarterback, that has been by far the weakness of the Florida State defense. We saw from Jaden Daniels from LSU, Malik Cunningham for Louisville, Anthony Richardson of Florida, even DJ Uwe Ungalale for Clemson, who's now, I think, transferred to Hawaii as Clemson will enter the Cade Klubnik era, who struggled in the Orange Bowl last week. Um, but any, any, any quarterback that can run had success against the Knowles defense this year. 
A couple of uh, other notable things, though. Uh, Justin Turntine in his last game got injured on that final drive where they kicked the game winner field goal. He got hurt and got carted off uh, the field. And when I tell you the entire team, the whole bench cleared uh, to go meet him as the, the cart went into the tunnel and, and kind of give him a high five or and just be there as a team with him in that spot. That was really cool to see. That was a unique college football moment. You hear about that when you talk about what makes college football apart from from you know the pros. And I think it's part of why a lot of these guys who have good NFL prospects are coming back for another year because they love the togetherness as a group. This is the only time in their football career where they can say that it's like this. And Coach Norvell and his staff give them credit for creating the culture, but also the players. Turntine got to the team in the summer as a transfer player. He was with the team for six months, and even then the whole team out there to greet him on the cart, and you hope he's okay and and can play at the next level, certainly. Uh, Ryan Fitzgerald, the kicker, making a couple big kicks. I know Florida State got the number one kicker to commit for the class of 2024, but someone's going to have to kick in, in 2023, and it might just be Ryan Fitzgerald, who was 10 of 17 on the year going into the night. Uh, but but Coach Norvell and Jordan Travis, interestingly enough, in the postgame presser, uh, I'm speaking highly of Fitzy and 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 showing their confidence in him, and that was one of the 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 uh, the scary spots that you were hoping to get cleaned up before the end of the year, going into next season, and uh, I think you did just that. Um, Fabian Lovett didn't play in the game. The big defensive tackle, known as one of the leaders of the team on the defense defensive line, uh, didn't play in the game, but he's going to be back for 2023. He had accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl, and he graduated, and, and he's got uh, a kid of his own, and so you think maybe you know he's ready to move to that next part of his life, but the battles end. NIL Collective uh, got him signed up for, for probably a pretty pretty big NIL payday, and they're going to get him and the Garnet and Gold for one more year, and Jared Verse still undecided. Uh, Adam Fuller and Randy Shannon, co-defensive coordinators this year, we will see if that stays the same. Uh, you look at this game, and I know a lot of people were uh, hypercritical of a Fuller, at least, in how the defense shook out. There was a coaching move made today. Uh, Marcus Wooden, who was the defensive back coach and the uh, the defensive passing game coordinator, his contract expired on the final day of 2022, and, and FSU was not going to to re-up with him but just this afternoon he took uh, a job at Arkansas for the same spot defensive back coach so he's not moving up just moving over I mean to the SEC but uh, Arkansas not a great year uh, definitely on the defensive side of things so they're gonna at least have a, a new you know DB court a uh, coach we'll see if the coordinator the co-coordinator stay the same uh, but those are all you know storylines to to keep an eye on. Uh, we're coming up quickly already uh, at the the bottom of the hour here with about ten minutes to go. So I want to talk about some transfers maybe, and then quickly mention some some basketball if we have the time. Uh, but some big time transfer portal moves for FSU football. The biggest of the big, Fentral Cypress. A cornerback transfers to Florida State from the University of Virginia. Uh, Coach Norvell 
commenting on him, a unique combination of length and athleticism. Uh, went on to say his consistent playmaking ability is what makes him a, a perfect fit for the defense. To certainly t- uh, defense not forcing enough turnovers. I mean, they forced one against Oklahoma as an example. So he can Cypress can maybe be a, a guy in that. 14 pass breakups this past season alone, and Virginia didn't play a full schedule as well uh, because of the unfortunate passing, I think, of three players that passed late in the season. So I think they, they played nine games, 14 pass breakups. So he's at, you know averaging near, nearly you know over maybe a pass breakup and a half each game. He was an all-ACC second-team player, seen as a one-and-done NFL prospect, uh, transfers coming to Florida State in the Norvell era. That that's, uh, sounds about right. Players coming in for one final year and making a heck of a lot of noise. So hopefully, Fentral Cypress is that guy who was rated as the number two player in the entire transfer portal at any position. So Jaheim Bell was a big get a few weeks ago, another big one in Fentral Cypress. And now some, some offensive linemen, <clears throat> Jeremiah Byers, from the University of Texas, El Paso, 6'4", 330 pounds, was a first-team all-conference player uh, from CUSA, uh, a tackle that could slide inside. He's got two years of eligibility left, so Alex Atkins uh, bringing in a, a guy. Uh, three offensive linemen starting are going to be gone, Turntine, Gibbons, and Emmanuel. So you've got some some spots to replace, three out of the five. And so Jeremiah Byers from UTEP and another one coming in from Auburn. I think Byers was was the guy that was highly touted in a big way. But Keandre Jones from Auburn, 6'4", 340 pounds, started all of basically the 2020 and 21 seasons, was very impressive in those, but got benched this past year. I mean, it was a season where Auburn fired their coach and there was some turnover. So... You never really know about that, but uh, we talk. We talked about it on the show. Jackson Bakich likes to mention Josh Storms, the strength and conditioning coach. Uh, Jones, I guess, seen as a guy that maybe could stand to lose some weight, maybe get a little quicker on his feet. And between Storms and, and Coach Atkins, who's great working with the offensive line, Keandre Jones, uh, a, a great candidate to kind of return to his his previous form and, and be a big uh, time guy for the Noles. I mean, six four. 340 that's a, a big man and another addition uh, on the defensive line Braden Fisk from Western Michigan uh, not a ton of I think power five uh, teams coming after him Notre Dame was one that was working hard on him for for Western Michigan a fifth year senior this past year was uh, all Mac conference second team had 12 tackles for loss with six sacks and so it seems like the trenches, offensive and defensive line, is where there seems to be turnover the most year over year for uh, the Seminoles. And the transfer portal has been big, really big for both of those spots. You haven't seen a ton of big-time recruits at those position groups, but if you can continue to work the transfer portal like this, uh, you're going to be A-OK. Uh, quickly, some, some players transferring out. Of the team that now have new spots, Amari Gaynor, the linebacker, is going to be at North Carolina next year. Uh, Jamie Robinson going to the NFL draft, not a transfer, but uh, will not be with the team. And Sam McCall, the uh, the the top recruit in the previous class, transferring after just one year, citing lack of playing time among other things, uh, is going to who else? 
He's going to Aggieland, Texas A&M, hooking up with, with Jimbo Fisher and, and his staff. So uh, I know a little with a tongue in the cheek there. But a disgruntled player that seemed like he wasn't a right fit for the team, making his way out to, to Fisher's squad, that, that's an interesting fit. Obviously, I don't even have to really connect the dots with that one, but that's where he's headed. He's going to the SEC, so he'll certainly be challenged out there. And uh, all the players out of eligibility, I'll just read them off quickly here. Uh, Jarquez McClellan, Cam McDonald, Pokey Wilson, Leonard Warner, Robert Cooper, Dimitri Emanuel, Justin Turntine, and Dylan Gibbons. All those guys, not with decisions to make. They just didn't have any eligibility left, so they will no longer be uh, with the team a couple minutes left going to talk some basketball here quickly as we put uh, a bow on the show uh, we've been glad to thrilled to have you with us for the first show of 2023 by the way talking all kinds of florida state <clears throat> men's basketball right now they're four and 11 but two and two in acc play they beat notre dame a couple weeks ago 73 72 cam corin the freshman big at the center position played 31 minutes naheem mcleod did not play in that game he was 8 of 13 from the field, 18.7 rebounds in a conference game. It was a weird matchup, uh, Notre Dame with all kinds of you know fifth and sixth year seniors, but seeming like like all um, guards that just shot the three. It seemed like that was their entire roster, and so Florida State was able to to you know win the they won the rebound battle. Uh, Knowles had only five turnovers in that game. Cleveland. Matthew Cleveland with a double-double, 19 points, 12 rebounds. Five of his last six games, he's put up a double-double. And uh, he was ACC Freshman of the Year last year, and he'll probably be an all-ACC player this year before he goes to the NBA draft. And then on New Year's Eve, the Knolls going up to to Durham, and they lost a game to to number 17 Duke by 19 points, 86-67. to Corin started that game as well at center, 23 minutes, but only four points. And uh, they got dominated by by a Duke big that we'll talk about. But Cleveland with another another double double, eighteen points, ten rebounds. Not good from the field, but he he made all ten of his free throw attempts. And uh, Florida State has been good at that as of late. Really struggled at the stripe early. The team was uh, four for fifteen from the three point line. The Knolls were, and so maybe that's what you look at. And you know, if he could have made some of those shots, Darren Green and the like game could have been a little different but it didn't really matter they were just outplayed by a legit uh, now i think they're a top 15 team duke's a 610 senior by the name of ryan young was a perfect seven to seven from the field 20 points 12 rebounds and uh, i mean what <laughs> the fifth or sixth game this year where Florida State just gets absolutely obliterated by a star big from the opposition. They have no way to stop it. Uh, I like the move to have Cam Corn starting at the five now. Uh, Naheem McLeod coming off the bench. I think he's had his turn and, and has, uh, you know, I hate to say, but squandered that opportunity. I don't know that Corn is the answer, but uh, you hope that they're at least moving a little closer in the right direction. They were out-rebounded by eight, and they had 13 turnovers in the game uh, looking ahead at the schedule here, uh, they have uh, one game this week. They'll play Georgia Tech on Saturday afternoon, and then the following week they'll be at Wake Forest uh, with their first game with Baba Miller, and we'll get to preview that uh, next week. Uh, for the FSU women, they're 14-2, and two, somehow still unranked. Uh, UNC, who they beat 
uh, in the poll today was 22. You got Duke at 19, NC State at 10, Virginia Tech at 9, and Notre Dame at 4. So they're at least going to get a chance to play some of these big-time teams. Uh, and they're the, at the top of the, the receiving votes category. Uh, but they beat uh, the Knowles beat Miami 92-85. Uh, Tim Timpson for the Knolls uh, led the team in scoring the first time someone other than Tania Latson had led in scoring 25 points, nine rebounds, has had six double doubles this year. They beat number 15 UNC, or they were 15 at the time, 78 71. UNC led by nine points at one point, but the Knolls uh, with a comeback, they, they won the rebound battle by 10. The heels just four of 23 from beyond the arc, and then they beat Georgia Tech. Uh, this past weekend, 99 to 58, the Knowles 13 to 23 uh, from the th- from three point land. Tenaya Latson, 32 points, eight rebounds, four assists, was 13 to 13 from the free throw line, and all kinds of bench minutes. No starter reached the 30 minute mark, and a blowout was able to get some depth uh, from the bench pieces as well. This week they'll they'll uh, play nine and four Clemson at home, and they'll go on the road to 11-5 Boston College and hopefully another 2-0 week and uh, they'll be undefeated in ACC play and, and they'll be a ranked top 25 team uh, but that's it for the program here tonight I uh, was glad to have you alongside I know another big day of sports and, and a, a lot of things going on this time of night so I'm glad that you, it shows Tomahawk Talk for your Monday night listening uh, this has been William Haynes on the mic. Been thrilled to be here, taking you along all kinds of Florida State sports and and all other sports as well. Talked some college football and NFL at the top. But signing off here, we'll be back next Monday night at 7 o'clock. Hopefully I have the gang back in town, in studio, uh, as we always do. Uh, but this has been an, another episode of Tomahawk Talk. New release, I think, is next. Uh, but, and you're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.